Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Welcome back to another episode of the Pair Program, guys. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, along with my sidekick, Mike Gruen. Mike, what's going on? Not much, on? just enjoying the uh, 12 seasons that the Mid-Atlantic gets to experience every year. Uh, I think now it's 70 degrees. A couple of days ago, it was like 40. It's great. I love it. I think we're into yeah, uh, third right. spring or fourth summer or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like we're matching today, too, really repping yep. the brand. Yep, definitely. <laughs> so... um Welcome to our guests, uh, Jeff and Mitch. Uh, we like to start things off uh, with our first segment uh, called uh, Pair Me Up, where we like to ask our guests, like, uh, what are your favorite pairing, like one favorite pairing of yours? Uh, Jeff, why don't you get started? Uh, is it cheating if I say test-driven development in Ruby? Um, sorry, that was a awful <laughs> joke. Uh, you know, to be honest, uh, I've, I've really... Uh, I'm I'm super frugal, so I like don't spend money on anything. And during the pandemic, we just we were so stressed out. We just started ordering takeout every Friday night, and I just feel like now, like I associate Friday night with like the the bliss that comes from not cooking for my family, but just like everyone sitting down and relaxing and uh, really enjoying something tasty. So uh, t- takeout on Friday night is my my pair. Oh, nice, a little different than stir Friday, kind of, but uh... <laughs> yes. Like, is there a go-to <laughs> spot in your area that you religiously order from? Uh, I'm an idiot, and I taught my five-year-old to enjoy sushi. So uh, he he is now like every Friday night he comes from from school, and he's like, "Are we getting sushi?" And my wife and I are like, "Oh God!" So, so, I went for pho <laughs> for my kids, so it's a little less expensive, oh, and they. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but sushi's good. I like it. It is yeah. good. Mitch, you Mitch what, you, what you got? You know, I, I see a pattern forming. I was just going to be glib and say peanut butter and chocolate, mm, which is way less sophisticated than sushi on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> but still a good pair, although not according to my kids. My kids, uh, they, they, they're not big fans of the peanut butter and chocolate, so we get all the Reese's uh, cups from Halloween. I'll take them. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. I will. Yeah, that's awesome. Reese's for days. <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to go? I'll jump in. I've got um, I've got one that's kind of has a little bit of a story to it from this past weekend. I'm going to go with Frontier Airlines and customer disappointment. <laughs> um, I don't know. Have either of you guys traveled Frontier Airlines before? I no have. comment. <laughs> are, are we sponsored by um, uh, Frontier Airlines? I don't remember. <laughs> oh no! I think that's spoiled at this point. I gotta I gotta call these guys out. I gotta. Got to rep this because it was that bad of an experience. Um, you know, went out to Breckenridge, you know, flying into Denver to, to Hub Frontier. I um, ordered my ticket, you know, months in advance. Um, you know, I don't even think they offered an insurance plan for it, but just went with it. You know, I'm a sucker for the Frontier uh, price point, And this is probably why I have this love-hate relationship here, but uh was supposed to fly out on Thursday morning, wake up, get an email, your flight's been canceled. 
Um, we are going to push it to, to Friday, though. Uh, and here's a $50 voucher. And uh, at the end of the day, I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. You know, get online, start scurrying, find a different airline. Uh, you know, do, do find myself out in, in Breckenridge on Thursday as planned. Kept the return flight. But uh, my buddy's a big sucker on you know, jumping on Twitter and kind of like causing a stir about that type of stuff and getting uh, getting what he can out of it. And sure enough, you know, got a response, got uh, more than a fifty dollar voucher, got the refund, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, not. Uh, it's it's like a bad relationship. I just keep going back to them though. I'm like, why did I do this again? <laughs> but that price point, man, it 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 speaks to you. Interesting. So mine, mine's not going to be nearly as uh, as uh, story related. Mine's just cinnamon donuts and apple cider. Uh, hot apple cider this time Ooh. of year in the fall. I'm from New York. It's a very New England, New York uh, thing. Uh, and this weather just really brings that out for me. So uh, love, love, love uh, the hot apple cider this time of year. Well, I'll tell you, down in Tampa, th- this time of year is kind of like the same time all year, every year. I'm <laughs> Walking around in t-shirt, my wife and I joke about this year we're going to get a Christmas palm tree. <laughs> you know, Christmas Day will be on the beach. You know, in the water. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah. you got to th- got throw a little bourbon in that apple cider, Mike. That's a pro tip. <laughs> That's a pro t- Seriously, you know, you know my parents didn't do that for me old. growing up. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, as an adult, I should try that. Good stuff. Well, let's uh, let's segment into the the meat of the discussion here, guys. Um, so, yeah, the you know the, the title of this episode is boot camps or bust. Um, you know, obviously, you guys have a good past performance of you know hiring up folks that come out of boot camps, or you know, obviously on the latter, the opposite side of this, you know, folks coming out of academia. I'm just uh, I want to hear on a couple of things here regarding you know what are those options that are out there. Uh, for folks that are either exploring uh, boot camps um, and also just from a hiring perspective too, you know, some of those differences that one might find between you know, hiring up engineers out of academia and uh, vocational training. Um, we've got a number of other hot topics uh, sprinkled within. So why don't we jump into it? Um, who wants to kick things off? Why don't we start with Jeff? I guess what has been, you know, some of your experiences in terms of, you know, working with hiring up engineers out of you know, boot camps. Yeah, you know, we've uh, we've really benefited um, from good relationships with boot camps. So when I was at at Thoughtbot, I did some like community development. So I'd go to um, boot camps in the DC area and do some technical interview coaching. That was like part of my sort of Friday community involvement stuff. And uh, I, you know, sort of got some initial exposure to boot camps, and then you know at Commonlit, you know we don't have uh, we necessarily have the money to chase senior engineers all the way up the ladder in a, uh, a frothy uh, hiring market. So um, we've really tried to figure out the way to to make things work with uh, with engineers coming out of boot camp, and uh, we've hired uh, I think we've hired six boot camp engineers in the time that I've been at Commonlit, so a little under four years, and uh, they've all panned out and been very successful. So, um, you know, I think for us, we have a pretty rigorous interview process. And so we've been, you know, we really, we kind of grill people. I sometimes worry that we're making people spend too much time in interviews, but the fact that we haven't had a bad hire makes me, uh, at least think that we're doing something right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do think that, uh, 
you know, you have to you have to really look for the right people who are going to continue to grow very fast once they get out of boot camp. You know, it's to some extent some of the interview process, and this is the part that I don't like about interviewing people early in their career, is I I feel like you're um you're you're forced to do some extrapolation from where the person is now to where they're going to be. You know, you're not hiring this person for what they're going to produce in their second week. You're hiring them for what they're going to produce six months in or eighteen months in. Um, you know, but we uh, we've definitely made it work. And I think you know the reason that it works for us is that we have a really uh, in-depth onboarding process where we spend a lot of time. People rotate through all the members of the team, pairing with everyone. Um, and then, uh, you know, most of the people on our team are career converters. So I think we've got an environment that's sort of high trust, uh, where people feel comfortable saying they don't know something. Um, that's actually a key thing that we sort of look for in the interview process is like people who will say, I don't know, when they don't know something, um, because, uh, you can do a lot of damage in production if you, uh, pretend you know something <laughs> and you don't. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's, um, sort of self-awareness is a, a big thing for me and, and general character. I think when you're pulling people, but you know, early in their career, it doesn't really matter whether what, what they're coming from, whether it's comp sci background or boot camp or whatever, there's just certain characteristics that you're looking for in someone, self-awareness, open-mindedness, those types of things are indicators that they're going to be someone who can grow and, and learn and, and, and thrive. For, for some context, Jeff, what, um, what kind of engineers were you hiring? Are these like full stack? Are they front end heavy? Uh, maybe a little intel into that. Yeah, so we're uh, our our engineering team is is uh, is nine, so it's not a huge team. And and thus far, we've pursued a strategy of having everyone be a generalist. So everyone's a full stack engineer. Uh, we do have people who sort of like lean a little bit more heavily in a certain direction, but we've we've kind of had a hard time having people. Uh, really only work on the front end or only work on the back end. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a Rails app. We use TypeScript and React. Um, so it's like, you know, it's not, it's not a stack where there's uh, huge supply issues in terms of we're not using any like exotic languages or anything like that. Um, I do think one thing that might make us different maybe from um, other outlets that for bootcamp engineers is that we, uh, Commonlet has a lot of data. Uh, for a small team, and we really place a high degree of importance on SQL fluency, and so we don't necessarily need engineers coming out of bootcamp to like be SQL pros. But we found that when we've interviewed bootcamp engineers who did NoSQL instead of a relational database, that they have like a lot of trouble with our technical interview, even when we've attempted to sort of craft the technical interview in a way to help them succeed. Um, and to to that end, I think the like the boot camps that we've had the strongest interview showings from have been Flatiron School, who happens to do our exact same stack, um, and then uh, uh, Turing School, um, because they also tend to do. Um, I think their curriculum is a little bit more open and variable over time, but their their students do graduate with having some SQL. So the folks from those places have done well in our interviews in the past. Mitch, what's been uh, some of your experiences? Um, you know, not not all that dissimilar. Uh, probably the, I'd say the thing that I find the most unique about the boot camp candidates is that 
they're typically more committed. They're more passionate about what they're doing because they started their career doing something else. And they said, you know what? I know I'm going to take a hit and I don't care because this is what I want to do. And uh, so I'm, you know, not to, I'll I'll try to keep this short. So for example, a couple of years back, I was a tech fellow at Capital One. Capital One was hiring at an absolutely epic scale at that point. I think at one point we had 10,000 people on staff who all had engineers somewhere in their title. It was nuts. And as if hiring college grads wasn't enough, that that appetite was not happy. So they started something called CODA, Capital One Developer Academy, and where they basically ran their own internal boot camp for six months. And um, thanks to a colleague of mine being out on maternity leave, I just happened to luck out and got to be the first like technical mentor for the first CODA cohort at Capital One. And to this day, I'm creeping on pretty much most of that gang on LinkedIn just to see, are you still there? What are you up to? Are you sticking with it? And it's pretty consistent, right? Whereas I've uh, hired engineers that came in um, who went maybe a more vocational route or they even went with a more traditional route and they got a degree. And then six months in, they're like, okay, this isn't really what I wanted to do. Now, maybe it's a, it's a, it's also a consequence of some people saying when they're I don't know about you, but when I was 18, I had no idea what I was going to do. No freaking idea. So committing to a four-year degree in a college, that sounds like crazy talk to me. So I'm sure tons of people, when they were going to college, were like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess software, because that's where the money is, right? It's, it's the modern version of, I guess I'll be a lawyer. I guess I'll be a dentist. you know. And then they graduate, and a couple of years later, they're like, I can't stand this. I hate this. Uh, so so maybe you know, boot campers look better over time, just because you're automatically selecting out all the people that aren't really 100% in on becoming a software engineer, right? Uh, the second thing that I would say that was a little different is that for me, the the, the interview process, we're, we're both agonizing over it, right? For decades, I've been agonizing over the technical interview process because frankly, it's bollocks. Um, I hope I can say that. Um, but yeah. the thing, the thing that I've done that I find the most therapeutic out of the interview process is making sure and sending the technical assessment to the candidate in advance. Because what I'm what I discovered and I, I learned vicariously through the React Native team at Facebook actually who were doing this is they realized that when a candidate comes to an interview and then you spring the the problem or the exercise or the challenge on them, what you're really doing is you're playing drop the cat, right? You're dropping the cat upside down to see if it can land on its feet. And you're trying to see if your candidate is good at being a cat. That may not necessarily be the skills you should be calibrating your interview process for. Now, should they, right? So when you give the candidate the the exercise in advance, one of the things that I love to see is when they show up, have they already taken a look at this? Like, for example, we hired a boot camper who was kind of funny. We hired her and then literally one or two days after she started working at uh, Homie, uh, an article goes up on Business Insider about her. She was the boot camper that went viral. She talked about how she went to a boot camp and then interviewed for eight hours a day for six months before she finally got a mm-hmm. job. And yeah, she's uh, nice. And the cool. yeah, what a surprise that was. <laughs> but uh, I'll use her as an example. She showed up for the technical assessment. She had done every one of the exercises in advance. And very confidently deleted every single one of them and said on the call, she says, okay, which one do you want me to do? 
And I've had other candidates show up and they look like they just rolled out of bed. They don't remember who I am or who homie is or what the job was. And they're expecting to like do well. And uh, so, so for me, just sending the, the, the exercise in advance gives you a chance to see who's, who's got, what's a football term, high motor, right? Who's, who, who runs hard on every single play, even if it's just practice and no one's looking, right? Those are the people I'm So when they for. show up and you've given it to them in advance, do you immediately start changing all the requirements to make them feel like what it's really going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you bring, up, you bring up another really good point. Um, something I've never understood with the more you know, traditional computer science curriculum is why are you not, you know, like lesson one, hello world, right? Lesson two should be give your code to the person sitting to your left and accept the code from the person on your right. Now fix their code. Exercise two is, is going to be 80% of your life as a software engineer, right? It's taking someone else's code or maybe revisiting your own code from far enough in the past that you, you're learning two all weeks over is again, enough right? in most cases. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for some two exactly. hours. As you get older. But, but, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the the interview process. That's you know, um, and how it relates. I think the what you're saying about boot campers. I think um, one of the differences I've always seen um, between sort of CS versus boot camp or, or whatever is that boot campers tend to come in with a little bit more of the tool, like the software engineering tool set. Like they know what Git is. They know like this sort of the onboarding for them is a, a very different onboarding than for like a comp sci person who like in a lot of times you're sort of unwinding and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's all great in academia. But let me explain to you how it actually works here in the real world. Um, and so there's the, the onboarding can be very, very different as well. I'm curious if you guys have some more experiences. I'm guessing from the nodding heads that that's the case, but. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, the differences are pretty profound and, and pretty clear and stark. <laughs> um, the, the engineers that I see coming in from academia are, are extremely strong with like higher math and algorithms and the science behind writing software. So more complex challenges, uh, more complex operations and sorting and manipulating data as sets and that kind of stuff. Uh, comes much more naturally to them. But like you stated, they've never heard of Git. They've never had to look at someone else's code. Every project is a brand new What's blank a pull file. Request? Um, How do you do a code yeah, review? Whereas, well, and another thing is academia is still teaching people how to write Java. It's like, welcome to the 90s. Uh, you talk to someone who comes out of a boot camp and they're talking, you know, Go, they're talking uh, React, they're talking TypeScript, they're talking languages that are all way more recent and way more in demand uh, as a hiring manager, in, in, at least in my perspective. But I, but I do think that that's a, a pretty good difference because one of the things, I think the thing that I learned most from my CS background is the ability to learn a language. So I learned Java, small. well, I didn't learn Java in college, um, just after college, um, but small talk, um, C, C++, um, Prolog, you know, ML, all these different languages. And what it taught me was conceptually abstractly, like this is a functional language. This is object oriented. These are these concepts. And I think when you're hiring someone with a CS degree, you get that. Whereas when you get somebody from a boot camp, you may or may not get the that ability, right? They may have the experience you're looking for in a particular stack, but they might not have the, you know, the the rest of the background to to quickly learn a new language, which which they, well, they, maybe they, they don't need, brought. right? I mean, it's, it's you know, there's there's all these trade-offs. Yeah, they won't be broad. Right. 
we hired someone who was kind of the uh, best of both worlds in this front. It was someone who graduated with a CS degree and then said, I don't have any web development skills. And so they went and did a boot camp immediately after graduating with a CS degree. <laughs> and it's like the strongest interview performance <laughs> we've sure. ever had from from someone who wasn't a senior engineer. I mean, he just like, he blew it away. We, we like, we finished and we were like, yep, that's a hire. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And, it, and what do you guys think about like when you're thinking about the role that you're hiring for, like how much does that play into whether or not you're looking more bootcamp or CS? I mean, I, I can tell you my own personal bias, which is when I'm looking for backend developers, I tend to favor people either with more years of experience or someone with a CS degree. Um, if I'm doing web app or something, you know, I, I feel like boot camps do prepare students for different th- or prepare people for different things. I'm curious what your thoughts are. It hasn't really influenced what we're doing for the reason I said before, because we just don't have like a ton of specialization mm-hmm. yet. Um, but, you know, I do think um, we are, you know, we we look for a little bit of SQL fluency in our interview and our technical interview process. Uh, it, it's all much more weighted towards Ruby than it is towards React and TypeScript because I think we are just, I think we're very confident that we can teach people to write React and TypeScript, particularly the way we want people to write React and TypeScript um, versus uh, I think it's like a harder lift for us to teach someone Ruby coming from somewhere else. And I, I think I would, I think if we had like a senior engineer candidate come to us uh, who was not a Rubyist, um, I think we'd be more flexible about that. I just feel like Commonlit is like a big app for, for someone's first professional job. And I feel like we're already asking a lot of people like by throwing them into sort of the deep end of the pool with all the stuff we're doing. And I feel like having to learn a new backend language at the same time you're doing all this other stuff, I think it's just a lot. Um, and we really want to put people in a position where they can get some early traction um, and then start building on that success really quickly. Yeah, we've been seeing, um, you know, from a from startups hiring up engineers, right? I think historically it's been a mixed bag where. Uh, they're either really one end of the spectrum or the other and and tends to be, you know, if they're anti boot camp, it's because they had a bad experience and they they had maybe one one or two bad apples that came in the door and then they automatically, you know, will associate that with, you know, well, if I do another one, it's probably going to be a similar outcome. Um, that said, um, we have seen more recently a little bit more leniency and more flexibility I think flexibility is the key word of 2021, right? Especially when we're talking about hiring engineers, uh, you're going to have to flex in some sort of an area. Um, what a great area to flex on is, you know, the degree requirement. Um, you know, we don't necessarily need this CS degree. Let's lighten up. What it actually used to be, uh, we want a top 50 school. And it's like, well, you know, you're going to need to ch- ch- slice that off your menu item as well. Um, I, I think, too, that... Um, some of the uh, startups that are hiring maybe in an early stage where it's really difficult and you're, you know, you need to do a lot more selling. Um, you maybe can't afford that, uh, you know, cream of the crop type of engineer uh, are, are lightening up a little bit more and going down this path of 
um, some some folks coming out of boot camps, but they wouldn't just do it as like you know their first or second key engineering hire. They want somebody who's also going to be able to be a good mentor, who maybe is you know trained, uh, you know CS degree, who can then help kind of guide these folks in, in some of those early stages when they're navigating the waters. I think you definitely need like a good ratio of senior engineers to junior engineers to make things work. Um, you know, and I think if, if that ratio gets out of hand, like if there's too many junior people relative to the rest of the group, then you, the senior people aren't, they aren't shipping anything, right. Cause they're spending all their time mentoring or they're not mentoring at all. And then those, uh, junior engineers. I mean, what, one thing that we found is a couple of times we've hired people who are like worked somewhere else for a year before they came to Commonlet. And so they were a year into their career. So it's, it's, you know, a big step above where they were when they were in boot camp. But they talk about their job before. And it was like, yeah, they hired me. And then they just basically made me learn everything on my own and didn't, didn't really mentor me, didn't really tell me anything. And that, that to me just seems like an incredibly wasteful use of resources. I mean, you're, you're basically saying, all right, I'll, I'll hire the, I hire the least expensive full-time in-person help I can find, but then I won't nurture or grow those people at all. And then eventually they'll leave and move on. I mean, I just think uh, places in general, I think are really um, sort of penny wise, pound foolish about retention. You know, like if you're, if you have a complicated app or a complicated problem domain, the longer people have been working on your app, they should be more valuable to you. Um, you know, you want them, you, so you want to invest in those people so that they want to stay and keep working where you are. I have simple math for that, right? So calculating the true cost of one of your engineers is what, 1.5 times their comp? Hiring the wrong engineer is going to cost you what, 10 times their right. comp? Losing yep. an engineer is going to cost you 20. As a, as a leader, people ask me, they, they find out I'm a CTO. So, oh, how are you doing? First question I ask is, well, what's my retention? You have yep. to. Maybe it's, maybe it's my open source background where, you know, the only resource you have is people, right? That kind of oriented me already early on in my career. That was the main focus of mine. But yeah, the bottom line is, is it doesn't matter how good your documentation is and cross-training and blah, blah, blah. When, when you have a good engineer up and leaves for whatever reason, it's absolutely going to cost you. It will cost you significant because there's, that's expertise that's leaving. That's knowledge. That's history that's leaving. Hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finder's fees. Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. Why don't we jump into some of the, um, some of the other areas of the discussion that we were shortlisting here. So um, real quick question, uh, Mitch, on the you know, side, I guess, from, from plucking from uh, Cap One's boot camp. Uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> what was the what was the boot camp where the you know kind of this this rock star uh, you know uh, engineer came out of? If you're comfortable saying, 
honestly, I don't remember the name. Okay. I don't remember the name. I've, I've, uh, there's, there's probably six or seven boot camps out there that are, that are pretty good. I mean, I guess it's, it's about the business model of the boot camp, right? If they mm-hmm. tell you the boot camp is free, um, but we want a PC your first year's comp when you get your first job versus the boot camps that are like, we want 20K up front and then you can come to our boot camp and then you're on your own when you leave. Um, I guess those are probably more telling. Um, but maybe the situation I'm in is unique because we have kind of a, I guess we have a, a kind of like a, a monotechnical mentality at Homey where everything is full stack TypeScript and everything that's user facing is either React or React Native, be it web or, or mobile based. So if there are boot camps out there that are really big on TypeScript and React, that's a that's a that's a no brainer for me. That one's I'm, I'm going to be totally hanging out with that crowd. That's an easy one. Um, if someone comes from a boot camp, for example, where, and there are some boot camps out there, iron, something was one of them where the front end portion of the curriculum was based on react and the back end was based on rails. Um, I'm sure Jeff probably wants to know about those people far more than I do, right? Because the technical expertise is, is much closer aligned with the technology that they're using there. Um, yeah, I think, that's, the iron, I think the one you're thinking of is iron yard. Uh, was it them? Yeah. yeah, they're 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 now defunct, but they were they were in a bunch of locations on the East Coast. There's Flatiron and Iron Yard, so there's two yeah. two irons. Right, but uh, Flatiron, I think it was acquired, actually, I they? think it was Flatiron. Their rework, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I, I do I iron do think that that's one of the things. And going back to something uh, Tim you had said, which is early on in my career in my hiring, yeah, uh, I was against boot camps because the candidates we were getting from there were were garbage. Um, and I think, though, having seen the evolution of boot camps themselves, they're way mm-hmm. better now than they, you know, they've they've evolved. They've gotten better. They understand the market. They now they have these sort of different business models that aren't just these pay us and we'll we'll, we'll train you and give you a certificate if you, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, there's these other business models that I think help um prove that the the candidates that are coming out of them are are, are quality candidates and, and things have really changed so uh, certainly for people who maybe shied away from them due to their early experiences i think they've come a long way yeah a little bit more pre-vetting on the front end not just anybody that's willing to cut us a check is is welcome yeah. um yeah, yeah there's definitely that's... like a diploma mill phenomenon that is like you always worry about with like uh, any sort of for-profit energy educational right. enterprise and so I think some of the boot camps have done a better job than others. It's sort of like making sure that they are screening more aggressively. And, you know, as, as Tim said, not just taking a check from people. Yeah, there's um, there's mm-hmm. a one that's for data scientists and data, data engineers that I'm aware of in New York. I can't remember their name, but they were really focused on career changers from hard sciences into the world of data. And so their business model was more like almost like a recruiting firm where you you got accepted into this program. It didn't cost you anything. And then when you got hired, the the hiring company actually paid um, the you know enough money to to sort of pay for the the training and stuff. So it was sort of a um, that's how that worked. It wasn't even a percentage of salary. It was just a it was probably a percentage of the first year salary, but it was the company, the hiring company that actually paid it. It didn't even come out of the um, student at, at all. Um, so I think there's lots of different interesting, interesting ways of doing it. Yeah, Lambda School was uh was one that we've kind of been following quite a bit. I, I liked their model where it was um yeah, you could do it full time, 
nine months, kind of like 40 hours a week, um, 100% online, or you could do it part time, you know, for 18 months, kind of space it out. Um, pretty sure it was primarily asynchronous learning. Um, and then they would defer tuition where the student pays, it's like 15% or 18% of like that post Lambda school income over the course of 24 months. So it's not like you, you know, your first year, you're just dishing out, you know, uh, a lot of money out of your check. It's, it's uh, deferred over two years. So I think that's a creative outlet. I just quickly, I just found that article. She went to hack reactor. Yep. 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 Oh, cool. Nice. So one of the things, I mean, we've talked about CS degrees and we've talked about bootcamp. There's other options. I'm curious what you guys, what your thoughts are on some of the, you know, there's definitely some self-trained people or people who just somehow ended up, you know, whether it was they decided as a career changer, they're going to go online and do free online learning. There's plenty of places. Or I know a couple of people who sort of fell into it because they were working at a company and somehow ended up on an engineering team and just sort of, they went from doing like Excel spreadsheets to software engineering. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on those other routes. Maybe Mitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm actually one of those people, right? So I was originally born as a hardware engineer. So I was at Apple, was on the teams for the 2CX and 2CI, maybe the worst two Macs ever made, and uh, went down the street to this other company called Sun. So I went from the prettiest computers to the ugliest <laughs> computers in the industry in one job. And at Sun, I was on the Campus and Hydra prototypes, which went on to become the mm-hmm. Sparks, right? Which was their bread and butter for the next two plus decades. It was there that suddenly, you know, multi-layer circuit boards and crystal oscillators weren't nearly as interesting for me. And it seemed like all the yelling and screaming was coming from the intersection of humans and technology, right? And whereas designing hardware, you had to have this long, I got to support this for 10 years, so we're going to move at a glacial pace. Software, hey, fastest you can release it, the better. And uh, that was when I decided, okay, I want to get into software. And um, yeah, it's, I was in Silicon Valley at the time. And, and that was kind of a running joke, right? Everybody said, everybody's business card said hardware engineer until someone discovered how much money you could make on software. And then suddenly everybody's business card said software engineer. And uh, so that was really my situation, right? I didn't get a degree. I didn't go to college for this. I just started doing it um, and then spent the next 30 years learning the hardest way in the most soul-crushing Ben Stiller-like <laughs> fashion what you should and should not do as a software engineer. But but yeah, I would say from from me, the the thing that I've noticed is that you have folks that go down like a traditional route with the schools and they are really strong with theory and they have like several years of really hard, intense training. You have the people that go to boot camps. So there'll be, there'll be maybe, you know, surface level and a, and a much smaller area, but what little they know is very current and very relevant to the, to the marketplace as of right now. And the people that are in between usually just get lost in the wash, right? Um, if I have someone, actually, I just interviewed someone earlier today who was, he was doing IT and system administration and system support for years. And he just wants to become a software engineer. And every time he tried, his current employer kept pushing him back on the DevOps and do that kind of stuff. So that's it. I'm out. I'm changing jobs because I want to write software. Hmm. So how do I assess this candidate? Right? Because chances are their expectations for comp are going to be way higher than what you would expect for someone who doesn't have any experience writing software. But the flip side is 
this candidate's also bringing a lot more knowledge and expertise and likely has a higher potential as a software engineer because they've been sure it's terraform and cloud formation instead but they already infrastructure is code man that's the future so you know it's uh it's software engineering best practices so it should a lot of that stuff should be translating and that's and that as a hiring manager for me those are probably the hardest candidates Mm. to gauge just because you want to be fair but the flip side is you you have no insufficient data yeah. I come from an even like softer skill uh, background than Mitch does. I was a history major in college uh, and I was a, a consultant coming out of college. And I, I worked at um, like a 28,000 person consultancy. And we were, one, of the, one of the jobs I was doing was writing requirements for um, payroll software that state and local governments use. So like the city of New York and the state of California with its 300,000 employees, because everyone in the university system is a state employee, uh, you know, was writing, was printing their paychecks and calculating deductions using our stuff. And um, I was really fascinated by what engineers were doing. And uh, I actually applied to what I think is one of the very first boot camps, which is Living Social's uh, Hungry Academy. And mm. uh and got rejected, yeah. uh, and I, I I wore that chip on my shoulder for a while. Uh, <laughs> but um, I ended up um, I used to play in the world's most complicated fantasy baseball league. So we had um, lo- long term contracts and like uh, a salary cap. And uh, uh, Bryce Harper was drafted as a high schooler um, in our league. Uh, a, 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 18-year-old South Korean shortstop was drafted once in our league. So, you know, this is serious stuff. And um, uh, we had the rules were too complicated to play on like Yahoo or CBS or something like that. So we built our own site. And that was how I learned how to write write code, how to do web engineering. Um, That, by the way, is not a career path that I or a, a path becoming an engineer that I would recommend to anyone. It probably made things take much longer than it should But at the same time, Um, I I do think that there is something to the, like when when people come to me and they're like, how do I get into this? How do I, like having a project, having something that, some problem that you're trying to solve is a great, because if like, and I've had the the, sort of the inverse conversation, which is like, hey, you're, you're in customer success. I remember there was a customer success person who came to me. He wanted to get into software engineering. And it's like, well, you see these problems all the time and it's like ripe for automation. And if you're not thinking about how to solve these problems in that way, then you're probably not actually going to enjoy software engineering. You, you have to love fighting with the computer, losing regularly, and having that sort of right. pain and misery of, of doing that. And if you enjoy that, and if you enjoy those like few aha moments of like, yeah, I got this, then that's a, a good thing. And I think that that sort of going into some of those things and... Um, like having a problem to solve and trying to figure out how to use a computer to solve it is a, is a good indicator as to whether or not this is a career for you. I, I think that's true. And I'm definitely a project-based learner. I mean, I tried to learn like, you know, C++ out of the book, <laughs> you know, five times and it failed. And I, I think of myself as a reasonably smart guy and a reasonably technically, technically inclined guy, and I just couldn't do it. Um, but, you know, the, the you know, um, Mitch was talking about people getting lost in the wash or in between. I'm not sure if I would have hired myself. Um, you know, I, I think if you, I don't think that, I actually think that like the people who are super successful out of boot camp were going to learn most of that stuff on their own anyway. Like the boot camp is good for accountability. I think it's good to like 
help them get started. And I think it's like a little bit of like endorsement to help employers sort of like sort out who's who. It's unfortunate that that means that like you have to go to a boot camp to sort of like get yourself in that pile. But, um, you know, when we when we put out, um, you know, because we're willing to hire truly entry level engineers, when we put out job postings, we get like 300 applications when we put out a job posting. And we get a lot of really, really incredible people. Um, and it's it's hard. It's hard to evaluate people based on portfolio projects. Right. Right. Um, so we have to do some stuff to sort of cut down the pool a little bit just to make it remotely manageable. We don't have an HR department. You know, we don't have a recruiting team. Um, I'm reading most of these things. Um, I really lucked out in that I had a former uh, colleague of mine who contacted me right when I decided to quit my job and become an engineer and said, uh, do you know anyone who knows, do you know anyone who knows Ruby on Rails? And uh, I said, yeah, I do. Um, so <laughs> uh, I wrote the I wrote the I rewrote the voting app for a competitive karaoke league. That was the first uh, time I got paid to write code. Um, so, uh, you know, but, you know, that was just I was very fortunate that I had a series of prior work associates who needed freelance help. And that kind of let me establish some credibility and a track record before I went on to do other things that needed more tenure and more. Have either of you pulled from the open source community? Like looking at contributors to top open source projects or an open source project, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, but my my open source background goes on forever when it goes back to the one X kernel. So I, <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I think that that's another good way for those people to maybe who don't want to do the boot camp, do what you know uh, to not get lost in the wash is to try and find some open source projects, become a contributor. You get that sort of you, you can sort of get that pedigree, if you will, um, as you start getting your 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 code accepted into the project and stuff like that. You know, I would, I would agree, but it's much harder to find those personality types now because the nature of open source projects has changed over time. You know, I remember I was pretty sure that my code was in a tarball with a bunch of other people of NCSA server when it was so patchy, they just started calling it mm -hmm. Apache. Right. And, when we shared code back then, there was absolutely we were all stuck, you know, working in the in the basement and on, on a you know hand me down desk and a broken computer. That's that's what software engineering was back then. But you know now a lot of open source projects are these big, you know, funded startups and entrepreneurs and 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 stuff like that. So I think that it's it's I think it's maybe less attractive a mm. target as a as a source of good candidates. Whereas in the past, I've tried to hire, you know, really high profile uh, open source contributors as individuals, and that tends to work well as long as you can allow them to balance their contributions to a community. But understand, they're going to want like 50% or more of their time to be spent supporting that open source project. So yep. you're, you're going to be paying full price to get less than half of this person's attention. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to get bang for the buck. It's it's great from an altruistic perspective, right? Because you're helping support an open source project and whatnot, but it's definitely harder to find um, individuals that are really going to contribute in a big way to your organization. It probably makes, yeah. probably makes the most sense when that like open source project is so critical to your business's survival, you know, where you either need to make sure it keeps going or 
you need to make sure that you're somewhat controlling and influencing the direction of where it goes. Um, you know, I look at like all the people at Shopify and GitHub who are like Rails core contributors, and like that's clearly a strategy that they've said is like they want to they want to influence the direction that Rails goes in, and so they're hiring those people to do a lot of open source. And it's it's I, I would argue it's not altruism. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's but it's it's like it's carefully curated interest. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we've actually seen also in uh, in the area of data science, um, there's a ton of boot camps out there, but uh, speak on the topic of open source, Kaggle Days has really interesting competitions that they run where they open up large data sets from, you know, from corporations and folks can kind of come in there and work on those challenges and use that as an opportunity to, one, get a little bit of a project under their belt. But sometimes those companies that are opening up that data, they're using it as a, as a hiring tactic too. So the folks that you know, kind of came in and did the best work, you know, the end of the end of the rainbow is uh, is an opportunity here for you as well. So I think it's a creative outlet. Um, I do want to transition uh, into our last segment while we still have a little bit of time left. Uh, quick side note, Jeff, we will um, blurp out Bryce Harper's name from this podcast just for the sake <laughs> that he's not very beloved around here in DC. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, so let's, um, well, I guess any, any final notes on this, guys? Uh, I think we, we might even want to do a follow-up episode. It would be cool to bring in uh, the, the engineer, Mitch, from, uh, you know, from Hack Reactor. I mean, get her perspective. That could be a neat kind of uh, follow-up the, episode. But I was um, going to say, the one, the one thing I'd really like to add here, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but if I restricted my candidate pool to just college grads, I'm going to find a whole bunch of people that um, look the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when you go the boot camp route, you get an entirely different crowd of people. Mm -hmm. And if you believe that having a more diverse team leads to a better culture, leads to better exchanges, more friendliness and, and professionalism in the workplace, then you're absolutely missing out if you're not looking at at bootcamp grads for sure. Yeah. Well said. Um, cool. Well, let's uh, transition into this, uh, this last segment here. It's called a uh, round out my career, uh, where we spin this fun wheel of, uh, career growth topics behind me here. Uh, these are categories all kind of sit around career growth and they're questions that are kind of crowdsourced by the hatchpad community. So I'm going to jump in here and spin this thing. All right, culture. So I'm gonna pick a pick a question here, and then um, we can kind of riff on it for a little bit. So, when you think of a strong work culture, what are some of those top traits that come to mind? Um, Jeff, you want to you want to kick it off? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I think the I think the traits that we look for that like, first of all, like, I think we've, we've decided that we don't want to hire, uh, sometimes like in the interview process, we finally really like someone or, or someone doesn't like immediately hit us. And then we realize that like, we should, we don't want to just hire people who like have the exact same personality type as us. So, you know, for me, that mm -hmm. means like, 
I can't just take every like gregarious extrovert that we like <laughs> talk to and just sign them up. Like, cause then like everyone will be the same and that's, that's not a good setup. Um, you know, the things that we look for, are, like curiousness, uh, and drive. I think like one of our company values is learn and share. It's actually like part of your performance review is how much learning did you do and how much like sharing and teaching did you do? And um, I think that looking for people who really take joy in spreading knowledge out and also and like, you know, learning something, internalizing it, processing it, getting it together and then pushing it out to other people is is a really, really positive thing. And I think it has a really nice influence on culture. Um, I we're not a very like competitive group internally. I think people are very eager to share credit. Um, and I think it's, it's very, it feels very collaborative. Um, and I think that like those kinds of things, I, you know, and the last thing, sorry, I'm just spewing here, but I'm just, all these things are coming to my head, but the last thing is like humility. I think that we've had a hard time in the past if people haven't been able to have a little bit of humility. You know, I mentioned earlier about being, being able to admit that you don't know something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those things together are kind of the things that we're looking for. Um, to try to make sure that we build the strongest culture possible in our team. I love that last one, humility. It's a good one. I'm the humblest guy there is. Definitely the humblest. (laughs) (laughs) Mitch, what you got? Honestly, Jeff did a fantastic job of covering almost all of the really critical ones, at least for me, that I'm looking for. I mean, I'm also looking for folks that are not just uh, humble, uh, generous, uh, but I'm also looking for people and curious, but Mm -hmm. I'm also looking for people that are kind of outcome oriented, that are goal driven so that they're always working towards something. They, they're Mm -hmm. not into just idle pursuits. Uh, there, there's a reason why they're doing what they're doing. The, the joke I've always made in the past is so how many hustles you got on the side and Usually everyone that I interview that I really like has at least two hustles going on uh, at any given moment. And that tells me that's not just someone that's driven. That's someone who's willing to say, I'm going to set a goal and I'm going to work towards that. At uh, at my last place, we called that uh, outcomes over outputs. What we're looking for is, are you are you focused on getting something accomplished as opposed to just work for the sake of work or, or get it, you know, like, Oh, like yeah. who cares if you pushed a number of lines of code, you know, or whatever it is, like, it's really, are you solving a problem? And are you focused on that? I would mm-hmm. say that the other, and I'm, I'm trying to find a good word for this and I can't, but it's like being a good teammate. I'm not sure how, you know, what word you're looking for, but you know, um, there are people that when you put them in a group setting, and they get defensive, they can lash out and get real aggressive. There are other people when you put them in a group setting and things don't go as intended, they'll withdraw. And mm-hmm. then there's other people who will stop and they'll hold up a hand and say, this is not going like it's supposed to. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And to me, that last personality is a favorite personality type of mind because this is someone that's not going to be aggressive or give a hard time to a coworker, but they're also not just going to check out and disappear on you. If things didn't go as expected, they're going to rate, they're not going to try to be a superhero. They're going to hand toss up a hand and say, Hey, Mitch, I don't know what's going on, but I've been banging my head on this wall for two days and I just can't do it anymore. Save me for myself. Yeah. And that's totally okay. Yeah. It's like a synergy, right? Team, that teamwork, uh, vibe. Um, 
we have a, a pretty simple philosophy when we hire up over here internally at Hatch, and it's you know if you're um, if you're not a nice person, you're not making it through. And it we're a pretty good judge of that character. Uh, you know, you a lot of that I think comes back to humility too. Um, but um, yeah, if you're not, I mean, nobody wants to work with you know an a hole. You know, like we want we want to work with nice people and. Um, so that one, and then the, the other one that I, I really value is, uh, authenticity. Um, you know, somebody who's got some integrity to them. And I think that's such a, maybe an undervalued trait sometimes, but it's like, just be real. You know, I don't want somebody who's just always trying to be something that they're not, uh, cause it shines through pretty quickly when, when they're trying to be that person. So yeah, someone who's got that integrity or authenticity, I think is a big one for us. Yeah, for for me, it's the the big three. I think I mentioned it earlier: open mindedness, self aware, so, um, uh, and then a problem solver. But really, on the open mindedness and self aware, like for me, and I think it comes into it, it sort of has these like underpinnings of humility and some other things. But like, no, it's an idea. It's not your idea. It's not my idea. It's an idea, and we're going to build on top of it. And I, you know, and we want to. I want people who are willing to to have that conversation and and make things better through you know through that collaborative rather than getting defensive if i say like oh i'm not sure if that's going to work like I, I want you to be like yeah no you might be right like maybe we should do this or or whatever and, and for me to be able to take that same feedback and be like you know whatever it is but i think that that's an important trait as well i think it really you know that's how you get good teams um that sort of collaborative there's there's so many i think there's a lot of themes that we're pulling out that ha- but it has to do with that sort of you want to work with this person yeah. and and to me, um talking about a-holes i um i worked at a company a few years ago and i i the ceo told me that he's like look you can't you can't keep every a-hole off the bus like eventually you're gonna you're somebody's gonna get on the bus what you can control is how long they ride for <laughs> um and i always appreciated mm-hmm. that so like i think that's another <laughs> important aspect which is you know a, a part of the hiring process is you know sort of making sure that you're evaluating the candidate uh, even after they you know for the first 90 days and and making tr- you know mm-hmm. Did their actual personality come through in the interview, or, or did we did we miss something and and stuff like that? Yeah, it's an interesting area. Um, we're seeing more and more, you know, in in today's market, right? So we talk about a, an extremely competitive market where it's no longer, you know, you maybe you have some cool tech and the job description jumped out and the opportunity was cool, but we're seeing a lot more kind of like values based recruiting taking place where companies uh well engineers candidates are making decisions on how they align how the company's values align with their core values and i think it's a cool time right now because it's what that should do is weed out you know folks that misalign or taking on an opportunity for the wrong reasons um so more and more we're seeing you know startup companies representing those their values on their on their about about mm-hmm. us page and i think it's great i think it's something that you should put out front and center. And, um, you know, if you don't vibe with it, then this isn't a place for you. Um, and it's becoming more and more of a, a recruiting based kind of like alignment tool. I think that's well, neat. It's, it's generational, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Um, millennials aren't going to play the game. Yeah. That's, that's just simply not the way they're wired. Mm-hmm. So if, if you think you can just dangle, you know, benefits as a carrot or, you know, fancy laptop or something else, they're totally going to see right through it. They're just yeah. not going to buy it. And right. I'm okay with that yeah. from a, as, as an old jaded Gen Xer, who's basically been told to play the game his whole life. I am totally okay with the way things are currently headed. Yes. Yeah, sign me up. 
for sure. Yeah, a lot more like um, interesting, like mission-driven companies, and you know, what, 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 how am I helping the world here by by solving this problem, stuff like that. So, cool. Well, this is uh, this is good stuff, guys. Um, super appreciative of you guys being friends of the show today, and um, you know, looking forward to uh, you know getting the getting the gang back together for a follow-up episode. I think it'd be a good one. So appreciate you stopping by. Enjoyed it. It was a pleasure, guys. Thank you.